only going to preach as long as I can be in these shoes. It was a uh, Mother's Day, uh, you know, looking all put together, and it's also a Mother's Day regret at this moment in these. I don't normally wear heels, so I'll just, you know, you know when I put my, my heels on, that you could be like, okay, we're going to be out of here in about 15 minutes. <laughs> so, no, I'm just kidding. But my, my foot is hurting. That's why I mentioned it. Mother's Day regret. <laughs> yeah. I could, I could, but then, but, but, there, but, but I wore them, but I wore them, I got to keep them on. Uh, all right, so we're going back to inheritance. I probably shouldn't have gone th- down that rabbit trail. Let's, yeah, I'm back out of it, I'm back out. Um, let's define inheritance just to help us uh, set up for what we'll be hearing. Something, uh, an inheritance is something that is or may be inherited like property passing at the owner's death to the heir or those entitled to succeed, a legacy. So a few years ago, my grandmother on my maternal side uh, passed away, and my grandfather, her husband, had passed away several years before. So she, we had her a lot longer than we had him. And after she passed away, uh, one of the times my mom came out to visit, my sister and I, and she had already seen my brother. My mom uh, lives with my brother and my sister-in-law. And so she brought something for my sister and I, and and my brother as well, uh, from both of my grandparents that was an inheritance that they had set aside for each of their grandchildren. Now, I'm one of five grandchildren on that side of the family. And my grandparents did this uh, for their own children. They had three children, my mom and her two brothers, and then for each of us grandchildren. And I'll just, I'll never forget what a blessing that was. You know, I had, my grandmother loved God, uh, and so she would understand when I say the timing of that, although came from something very sad, which was her death, Uh, But the timing of that was such a blessing to my family, and I'll just never forget just recognizing that 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 you know that's just God. God is God's timing is perfect in our lives for all things, and you know all of us as grandchildren, we were surprised at having received this uh, inheritance. None of us had expected it, or you know, none of us knew that it was coming. It was it was something my grandparents had planned that we did not know about. So, like many families do, when my grandparents had their three children, you know, when they were younger, they had three babies come along, and at some point, they made a decision to set up an inheritance for their children. That was important to them. And then after that, as their children had children, and each one of us five came along as the grandchildren, at some point they decided we would like to if we can, set aside something for them as well. And so today, you know, inheritances are often gifted from one generation to the next out of love and care for the next generations uh, to leave them a sort of legacy, to leave them something for their future. And of course, inheritances nowadays, they're not necessary. Uh, They're not expected in families, but it is this gesture of care and love for the future. And so, you know, when I think about that, and what it, you know, inheritances take forethought. Inheritance, uh, you know, it requires planning 
on the part of the parent, oftentimes a parent, could be somebody else, but in my example today, it was a parent and a grandparent, grandparents who did this. It takes planning to set aside something of value uh, whether it's financial, whether it's property, whether it's land, you know, in various forms, uh, there's planning involved. There's thought about a future. And my grandparents displayed their love for our family while they were alive in many, many ways. We felt loved and cared for, you know, without this, you know, generous gift. Uh, they had always displayed their love and care for us, but it's something they wanted to do. Uh, for the next generations. And, you know, just, it, 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 it was an incredible thought to think they thought, they thought about that. They thought about this future knowing they wouldn't be a part of it, but they wanted to establish something uh, for their children and their grandchildren, even after they were gone from this life. It was that important to them to leave something behind for all of us and the message that that conveyed to us who are still, you know, living. And so, you know, I honor Grandma. Thank you, Grandma. On this Grandmother's Day as well, we honor all the grandmothers as well, um, and because she was such a gift to our family. And so <clears throat> we've defined this word inheritance, and in order to receive an inheritance, there must be an heir. And when I hear the term heir, I think of the grandiose, you know, Britain. Anybody know the, what's the anthem for Britain? I don't know, do, do, whatever. And, uh, you know, I think of Britain, I see the red, white, and, you know, their red, white, and blue flag. And I think of royalty and great wealth and these, you know, massive castles with land, you know, who, that's why they had all the cattle, because who can mow that? So you just got to have cattle out there to eat it. You know, that's what I think about, you know. Inheritance, I don't think of something small necessarily. They can come in many ways. But when you think of that word heir, you're like, oh, heir, like, you know, regal. Um, so an heir is a person, by definition, an heir is a person um, who's legally entitled to the property. This definition included rank, not really where I'm going today, but uh, it's entitled to property of another uh, on that person's death. So typically, heirs are blood relatives of the deceased who inherit um, the deceased's estate following death. Uh, it can be spouses, it can be children, it can be grandchildren, um, or other. Uh, but they all fall under this category of heirs. You know, typically, uh, an inheritance being passed down from a parent to a child. And I think this definition, you know, kind of reflects our modern culture. Um, historically, though, in many cultures, in order to have an heir to pass on an inheritance, a family needed to have a male son, uh, an heir, to inherit the family's wealth and land and properties. And so, and so no matter how many sons or daughters a family might have had, uh, the inheritance went to the oldest son. Nowadays, you know, my mom was one of the three that uh, inherited something from her parents, and uh, there's uh, of the five grandchildren, there were three great-granddaughters and, and two great-grandsons. And so nowadays, daughters and sons, you know, women and men, male and female, can receive an inheritance 
And things like the gender and the birth order, you know, they don't preclude anyone or, or favor anyone anymore like it used to, you know, at least not in our culture. Maybe other societies around the world, that's still a thing, but uh, not here. And <clears throat> inheritance, though, doesn't, it doesn't seem to hold the same significance in our culture than it has historically. You know, I know that if uh, we're able to, Arash and I would like to plan and leave something for our three children someday. You know, that would be ideal, but it's not necessary um, for their livelihood. It's not necessary like it was historically uh, or in some cultures today uh, for, for children's futures or to have a future. It's kind of just an extra if, if uh, you're able to. Uh, but the notion of an inheritance and of having an heir to pass down family assets to and wealth was the way of life in biblical times. So just a glance at the Jewish culture of the Old Testament and what inheritance looked like. If a husband of a wife passed away before having a son, then it was custom for the wife to marry the brother of her deceased husband. And when the son was born from that union, he was considered the son of the deceased husband, not of the union that had it, but the honor went to the son of the deceased husband, and therefore, he would continue that family line. To be an heir, you had to be male by blood, or as close to it as possible, you know, this... this uh, son that's born of the union, the new union, and then, you know, then it's part of the uh, <coughs> deceased husband's family line. Because what was most important was to keep the family lineage through the bloodline. So there's a lot more to be said about inheritance. I could probably get Brother Moss up here to preach on it for the next 45 minutes and give my feet a break. But um, I won't do that to him because I didn't prepare for that. Uh, but next time of my wardrobe, I will, uh, when I make this choice. So, no. But um, I'm going to be kind of moving into some, the New Testament, the Roman culture, things like that. And that's kind of where I'm settling today. But that's just a little snippet on Jewish culture and inheritance and what that looked like, what was important and how it had to happen. So, now moving forward to the New Testament, inheritance in, in, in the Roman culture of the New Testament looked different from that of Jewish culture. For a father to establish a male heir by adoption was not uncommon. There was a legal process for adoption. Jewish culture, there, nothing legal was established because just adoption just didn't happen. So there was a legal process for adoption in Roman uh, law, and, um, but it didn't resemble the process of adoption that we know today in our culture. We don't hear about couples adopting for the reason of having an heir for their inheritance. I've never heard that before from my group of friends. Maybe you have, but I, I bet that's few and far between, if at all. So a typical adoption in our culture is when a husband and wife adopt an infant into their family for the purpose of growing a family, adding to their family, that sort of thing. But in Roman culture... If a husband and wife did not or could not have a son, or, you guys ready for this? 
if the son was considered unworthy. So they did have a fully capable son. But the son was, if the son was considered unworthy of the family inheritance, then the father had a legal right and choice to choose a new heir who he deemed worthy to receive this family inheritance. I mean, think about how that would feel unless you were a son that said, well, I don't want it. Well, back then, you needed that inheritance for your future. So I don't imagine many sons going, fine, give it to someone else. I don't care. You know, that, no, that was, that was a real blow, I'm sure, to the father who felt like he didn't have the son he needed and to the son who the father perceived in that way. And this adoption that the father had a legal right to, you didn't adopt a little baby who would eventually grow up to inherit this. Adoption in the Roman culture was, it was actually custom that a father would adopt a young man. And in some cases, the man that he chose for adoption might even be older than him or older than his son. Uh, But he had the right to choose whomever he wanted to adopt as the son and heir. And it was probably the most important decision of a father's life in that time because there was a lot at stake. Now, I'm thankful to my grandma for what she left for each of us grandkids, but I'm just saying it was not biblical proportions, okay? It would, thank you, grandma, I'm, you know, but it was not this kind of inheritance, okay, that she left us. I use that just as an example to kind of get the conversation going. But these are biblical proportions, and, and, I, and yeah, mine didn't touch that. Uh, but a Roman father was not only responsible, you know, this is why this decision was so, so important, so great for a, a father in this culture, because uh, Roman, uh, fathers weren't only responsible for a wife and children. Okay, that's kind of how we see our family units today. You know, maybe an elder somewhere in there, but wife and children, those are your responsibility. That kind of what makes up your family. But a Roman father had a household of servants and an estate to pass on to his heir. So this is a very big decision, heavy decision. Probably, you know, gave him a lot of peace when he would, you know, uh, seeing death and knowing death was coming to know that there is a suitable heir uh, to take over all of that, uh, what was considered his in that culture. And I'm going to blow your minds again. Maybe I didn't blow your minds yet, but I think this might. Even a Roman emperor could use adoption to choose a successor worthy of his inheritance. When the adoption was legally official, oh, I didn't have that in my notes. Where did it go? I was going to say, the, um, I had it in another set of notes. What I thought was so interesting is if you know Roman culture at all, um, or of any of the, the Roman emperors uh, that existed, uh, I think Marcus Aurelius was an adoption. Um, uh, well, what's some of the other ones? Nero? Is that one? Yes. These were all you know, ever through this adoption 
uh, process being chosen as this legal heir. I just didn't, I didn't know that. And I thought that was really, really interesting. You can see all these levels of society using this uh, as part of what was normal uh, in their culture. And so I'll get back to now. When the adoption was legally official of an appointed heir, the man, the adoptee, the man's debts were totally canceled and he would receive a new name. He would receive the name of the family that he has been now adopted into. And so all his past life canceled, all the debts, and into this new life and with this new inheritance and this new identity. And under this practice, I thought this was crazy too, a father could disown his natural-born son, but an adoption was irreversible. So a natural-born son could lose his inheritance, but the adoptee could never lose it. Isn't that crazy? I mean, what did the natural... Anyway, we can't go down that rabbit trail. I was going to say, what happened to the natural-born son? What, what? Anyway. I just, uh, so, let's turn to some scripture. We need to get, we need to get in the Bible right now <laughs> before I take up all the time talking about anything else. Uh, but let's turn to some scripture. I want to I wanna focus on this inheritance piece. But I want to focus on the inheritance of a spiritual kind. You know, my uh, story I shared with uh, earthly inheritance that my grandmother and grandfather had left for us, but scripture tells us to be careful about storing away the things that are earthly treasures and the temporal things of this life. Because just like we will, all those things will pass away. Amen? And so as children of God, as our focus shifts from earthly treasures to the eternal kind, because through a relationship with God, and I know there's several witnesses here in the house today, but through that relationship with God, we learn what is truly important. And that how we live now impacts the life to come, and that the things of God will far outlast the things of this earth. So, before we get to the scripture, just a quick, quick recap. In this Roman culture, an heir could be a biological son, or in the event that there was no son, or if a son was thought unworthy of an inheritance, the father could appoint this new male heir through this legal adoption, and this new adoptee would have the full rights to the family inheritance. Okay? So with this mindset going on, uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. It's in this cultural background, this Roman culture, that Paul brings this message to the Gentile believers. Those were the people of the non-Jewish descent. Remember, Jewish, uh, Jewish inheritance, it had to be through the bloodline, period, end of story. But we're t this, the church of Ephesus that we're going to be reading out of, Paul's bringing this message to the Gentile believers. These are the non-Jewish uh, heritage people. And <clears throat> I'm going to read a good chunk of this. Now this thought, uh, verses 3 through 14, was originally, or these verses, was originally one thought. Just a continuous thought going like this. 
going like this. But, you know, in our, our uh, Bible, those chapters and verses are created for, you know, structure, for flow. But I liked the message translation. Uh, you know, the message is always kind of real and raw. But also, it kind of reads as that one, one flow, that one thought. And I thought it was um, true to what, you know, what I want us to kind of read this all together like it was intended. So I liked it for that purpose. So I'm going to go ahead and read this chunk. It says, starting in verse 3, How blessed is God, Paul opens with thanksgiving to God. What a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What a pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. You can hear some of the redundancy. Paul's really trying to get a point across here. It's a, it, was, it was a plan from long, long ago that God delighted in. And what was that plan? To adopt us into his family. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he was working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, this gospel message, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered, that's a Hallmark movie, but by the Holy Spirit. Paul got that term first. <laughs> this down payment from God is the first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praise and glorious life. Amen. So this this passage right here is just so rich, reading it as this single thought. And you could probably follow these key words in there, adoption and, you know, plan for us. And it didn't use the word inheritance as other translations do, but that um, this down payment from God is the first installment on what's coming. It's talking about the inheritance. And so... Uh, the Bible uses the metaphors of adoption to demonstrate how Christians are brought into the family of God. It's not through bloodline. 
uh, it's not through this work. It's not through this, but it's through uh, the love and grace of Jesus Christ that we are brought into this family and how we are made his sons and daughters. Now, this Greek word for adoption that's used in in this passage uh, by the Apostle Paul is used five times uh, elsewhere in the New Testament. And it means to place as a son, a son we understand as um, humans, humanity. We understand as including daughters in Christ as well. Um, And this Ephesians passage is the most extensive on this topic, uh, and that's, that's why I chose it. But a couple other scriptures that talk about this adoption in the family of God are found in Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 15 and seven, through 17. Reading from the NET translation, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, leading again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, not only through this uh, adoption that through Jesus Christ do we become his children, but God becomes our father, you know, and our mother, you know, today's Mother's Day, but yes, it's by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, here's the term of the day, then heirs. Namely, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And so how do we do that? We suffer with him, when we suffer with him is when we go down, as they say, in that water of baptism, where his blood is applied to our sin and removes that effect of it from our lives forever. Amen. And then to be glorified with Christ as we're raised up out of those waters into new life in him through the power of the Holy Spirit in his gift to us in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And last Sunday, Brother Ma spoke so well on that, this gift that the Lord has for us <clears throat> and had uh, our church seeking at, you know, in our altar call last week. And so in another passage in Galatians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, just one more, it says, But when the appropriate time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. Just as that adoptee in the Roman culture got the full inheritance of that, the father who adopted him. So do we as the children of God, and God is our father. Now, <clears throat> I know I kind of read through those quickly, but if, if you noticed in the Ephesians passage, and also in these other two that I have uh, picked out today, the benefits of adoption doesn't end with simply becoming God's children, as his sons and daughters, although wouldn't that be enough? Amen. Or him as our father. That's a miracle in and of itself right there. Uh, But the scriptures that speak about adoption go on to speak about this inheritance we received in Christ because we've become his children. 
So as his children, we then become heirs. Going back to this Ephesians passage in chapter 1, Paul begins with this praise of thanks to God for the salvation through Jesus Christ and the privileges that it affords believers because we are adopted into his family through Christ's sacrifice. Paul's words remind us, as, as it did the church then, uh, that it was always God's plan to adopt us, you and me, the world, especially us, really, because none of us here, I believe, are Jewish lineage, correct? And so um, it was always his plan because the only way we could be a part of God's plan of salvation is through the process of adoption. Amen. Verses uh, 3 through 6 in that Ephesians passage said, Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into the family of Jesus Christ. And what a pleasure he took in planning this. What strikes me about how Paul talks about adoption in this Ephesians passage and knowing, you know, the culture in which he was speaking to, those cultural implications of that time, of what adoption meant. What adoption really boiled down to was uh, worth. What adoption really boiled down to was the worth of an individual perceived by whom? The father. So this is the atmosphere in which he brings this message of adoption and kind of blows that apart. Amen. And so when Paul is reminding his audience about, in terms of God being our father, in his relationship with his children, let's look at how Paul reworks that meaning of adoption and all that comes with it, which is that inheritance in verses 7 uh, through 10, he said, Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people. Free of penalties, punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds, and not just barely free, abundantly free. Because qualifying as an heir in Christ has nothing to do with us. Amen. That's what Paul is getting at here. It's not about the bloodline. It's not about your family. It's not about worth. Amen. It's not about anything that has to do with us. Not gender. That's a big one. Heirs were only male for a long, 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 long time. Uh, it's not about perceived worth. It's by the, what qualifies us to be children of God and adopted in that family is about the grace and love of God. It's all about him. Amen. And our father planned for this adoption long ago. And that purchase was made long ago by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen. And so this being a totally new idea to the uh, Roman culture, that Ephesians church. Uh, and, you know, we too, I think, have to wrap our minds around that. Uh, that thankfully, the fact that God wants us he wants you and me as a part of his family. And then, 
to give us, and you know, the, the message said, lavish us with his gifts of his inheritance, amen. He wants that, and not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And I think that that's what Paul was trying to celebrate. That was a very celebratory passage. Nobody left feeling, oh, down and condemned. Everyone, you know, you hear that and you just want to worship the Lord. Amen. Amen. Go ahead. You can worship him. Yes, we thank you, Jesus, for that. We celebrate that. We accept that, Lord. Amen. Now, the NET translations we read out of in Galatians and uh, Romans use the term legal heirs, um, that we are legal heirs of Christ's inheritance. Um, and, of course, that, that message being very clear to the audience of that time uh, because they knew the finality of adoption. Remember, the adoptee, the inheritance could not be reversed, but it could be taken away from a biological son. Uh, and so that inheritance, Paul's speaking, this isn't something that gets reversed. There's nothing we do to get it or earn it, and there's nothing that we can do to lose it. Amen. The Lord has the spiritual inheritance for his children because of his love and his grace. And so whether you're desiring today to become a part of the family of God or whether you here or listening have responded to the grace of God uh, through placing your faith in him, through repenting, of our sins that he shed his blood for, amen, and in turn frees us from them in the waters of baptism <clears throat> as we raise up out of them into the new life in him through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We, we carry that new name, just as the adoptee in the, in the Roman culture, those debts were canceled, amen, and he carried the new name and walked in a new life. And so do we as sons and daughters of Christ. And so it's just almost imaginable to think that God chose you and me to call sons and daughters in his family. Amen. But we've got to respond to that invitation. We have to respond to that call. He desires to be our father. And he desires to adopt each of us into his family today. Amen. I'm coming to a close in just a minute here, but, you know, when we keep reading in these next few verses, Paul, Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul moves right into what heirship of our spiritual inheritance means as his sons and daughters in this life, as we live out this Christian life. In verses 7 through 10, it says he thought of everything provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took in such delight-making. He set it out before us in Christ as a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. This is part of heirship. Isn't that the search of all humankind? Isn't that the great philosophical question out there? That when, uh, uh, then, uh, what a gift it is that the Lord has given it, that understanding. 
to those who believe in him. I just think that's amazing. Paul said, you're going to find out what your purpose is. You're going to find out who you are in Christ. It says, long before we heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us and had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. So that's part of our inheritance you receive immediately when you receive what God has for you through water and spirit baptism. Amen. That's immediate, yes. But that's not all. Because the Lord's gifts are never-ending. That's not all. I'm beginning to feel a little spoiled. We get to hear about what we can expect and what we're experiencing. Amen? Some of us are experiencing exactly what is being spoken of in the scriptures here. But then we get a little bit spoiled, more spoiled, and verses 13 and 14 tell us that we experience the benefit of this inheritance not only in this life, but with the hope that the fulfillment of our inheritance will come to completion in heaven. It says it's in Christ that you, it's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. Now this down payment from God is the first installment. So there's more to come on what's coming. Yes, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. So Paul was encouraging the church. This is your inheritance, but there's more to come. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Now, for those of you who don't like surprises, these scriptures probably bother you. Because you're like, well, it says something's coming, but doesn't tell us what. You know, I like surprises, so I'm okay with these scriptures right here. Maybe not other ones. But listen, if you can celebrate the inheritance as a child of God today, if you can celebrate the inheritance you're already experiencing now, then I think it's safe to say that you can trust what is to come and trust that it's going to be worth it. Amen. So First Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 talks about what is the other part of this inheritance we have not seen yet but can expect. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Amen. And through your faith, uh, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Amen. So there is so much to celebrate and to thank God for, that's what Paul was doing in this passage. He said, church, we've got to celebrate. We've got to be thankful for this inheritance and the fact that these uh, reasons that precluded anybody before in the past are no longer reasons in Christ to be adopted into God's family, that he actually planned for each of us from the foundation of the world to be a part of this family. It's, it's God's desire from the beginning of time, and it remains his mission through the end of time, that God wants a family the size of the whole world. Amen. So if you would stand with me, I'm 
I'm coming to a, uh, my real close here now. That this spiritual inheritance is promised to each and every generation. And I'd like us to take a moment to uh, respond to that love and grace. Uh, some of us might want to celebrate that, however you want to do that this morning as we respond in our, the, this time we typically call the altar call, where we give a moment to respond to the scriptures, what we've heard this morning. If there's some of us here making decisions about being adopted into God's family, come back to this passage. Read it again. Search it out. Soak in what God is, has for you what he has for us, and ask God to help you get rid of all the things that you say, but not me, Lord, right? God said, oh, I took care of that long ago. I planned for it before you even wanted to, 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 to seek this out. We have to respond to God. He wants us to be in his family, but we have a choice in that. And so let's just, uh, if we could, as a church, however you like to pray, the altar is open. Uh, pray where you are, but let's just respond to the word this morning. Uh, to some of our, our parents here, to some of our, our spiritual moms and dads, I've been thinking about our, our young people. This message is just for young people. We're all adopted at any point in the process. God adopts adults, okay, people? Don't worry about that. God adopts adults, but I just thought if some of us would like to pray with our young people, whether they come to the altar whether they're in their seats. This is a spiritual inheritance that I know all of us want to pass down as spiritual brothers and sisters to each generation. And so it's not only a prayer time for our young people, it's a prayer time for all of us. But I just wanted us to remember what we are passing down as a church and body, as a family of God, and to pray with them. Uh, if you're comfortable with being near other people. And if you're not, it's okay to keep your distance. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's just choose someone to focus our prayer on today for a few minutes. And it can be yourself. Lord, we're just so thankful, God, for this promise in Scripture. Jesus, 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 we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your family, God. It's a never-ending family, Lord. There's never a cap on who can be a part of God's family. We thank you, Lord, that you take delight in adopting us as one of yours, God. The sacrifice you went through, Jesus, through Christ, God, so that we can be made not just children of God, but we can be made heirs of this spiritual inheritance you have for us. Praise the name of the Lord. We celebrate that God as Paul was. We celebrate that Lord as... Uh, uh, as